Mindfulness Mode 459. I close my eyes and I breathe as deep a breath as I can possibly get through my nose and I exhale through my mouth as slowly as possible. Reach new heights of calm, focus and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Hey, Mindful Tribe. You know what? These days, branding is huge. Getting your voice out there, getting your name out there. And we're in for a real treat today because I have such a great branding expert with me today. I have Doug Morneau with me today. Hey, Doug, are you in mindfulness mode? Uh, I will be soon. I'm, <laughs> I'm in rush mode today, so now I need to kind of slow down and be aware of my surroundings and just take a deep breath. Well, that's good. I'll, I'll help you do that. That's, okay. that's what we'll do. And the first thing I'm going to do is just share a little bit more about you with my audience. Doug Morneau is an author, speaker, podcaster, and he specializes in sponsored email. And he's a highly skilled communicator. You'll find that out in no time at all. And he uses elements of mindfulness to be one of the most outstanding leaders in his field. He founded his first company over 32 years ago, and he uses his ability to quickly understand concepts to adapt to new technologies and new media, making him a valuable contributor to any sales and marketing problem-solving conversation. And uh, Doug has a podcast, which is absolutely phenomenal. And I mean, talk about getting all kinds of amazing content on, on branding. And it's right there. You don't even have to buy a book to learn all of this incredible information. The podcast is called Real Marketing Real Fast, and it's real awesome. I can tell you that it's an awesome <laughs> podcast. So Doug, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks, Bruce. It's really good to uh, good to connect, and it's been good to bump into you at the various places as we travel through the U.S. together as well. Yeah, that's right. And Doug is a fellow Canadian. I didn't mention that. And uh, Doug is from Vancouver, and I hear you have a pretty awesome office location there in the city. Tell us about that. Yeah, I do. We uh, were situated about 40 minutes out of the city on about two acres of property, and uh, my office window is about 10 feet, and it faces the, the river that runs through our backyard. So we've got property on both sides of the river. So it's not uncommon while I'm interviewing people on a podcast to see a deer walk through the backyard or the bald eagle circling around or even even a bear one day kind of startled me. I was uh, talking to a guest, and this big black bear went <laughs> walking by the window, and I went, Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah it's, uh, I, I, you know, I have the, the the joys and the privilege of technology, but um, I'm not living in a in a concrete tower. That's awesome. What does mindfulness mean to you, Doug? I think uh, for me, it's really being um, being aware of uh, who you are, where you are, and the space that you're in. And that's why when you ask me, "Hey, are you in mindfulness mode?" It's like, no, I, I, you know, I had a busy morning. I just came from the gym and had another interview. So you get roaring around and you don't take time to kind of settle your mind. Yeah. And so when you're not, I, at least with me, I find when my mind's not settled, um, I miss a lot of stuff because you're just on go mode. And um, so you don't, you know, you don't see the birds. You don't smell the fragrance. You don't, you know, listen to people. Yeah, it's so true. And, uh, but, and that's the thing we're human, you know, we can't be like in mindfulness mode every minute. And, you know, we, we're living our lives, we're doing things, we're doing what our passion is. When did you first know that your passion was branding? 
I was, uh, I guess I was raised in a, in a home and um, where my dad worked real hard, um, you know, as a laborer job and my grandfather worked in business and I just always wanted to, to be in business, to be able to create and to run my own thing. I tell people that, you know, I'm a terrible employee. You know, I, I, I work really hard when I work for somebody, but I'm always wanting to go faster and improve things. And that's not always a welcome commodity in companies. And the advantage of having your own company is you you have the ability to um, to be yourself and to share you know um, from your heart and kind of your direction. So, for example, with my email list, I write a very personalized style email. I didn't always write it that way, but I became you know to use your word more mindful of what my strengths were and what I liked. And I just had to shift my thinking that if people don't like it. They'll just unsubscribe, which is perfectly fine with me because, you know, we're not meant to like everybody and everything that everybody does. I just want to find my tribe um, that kind of align themselves with my thinking and my beliefs and then serve them. And so I get so excited every week that I get to write. I feel like I'm, they're my friends. I'm writing them a note. Say, hey, you know, great to communicate with you. So. Oh, that's that's great because I think that's what we need more of is that that personal touch, you know, not always trying to sell, not always trying to be the kind of brand that people will buy from necessarily. Just be yourself and then people will want to buy from you. Isn't that true? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, service before self. Yeah. And so, you know, um, I don't think I've asked anybody on my list to buy anything yet. Now, I did send the note to them today because I wasn't being mindful last week. I had, uh, I was changing my diet up a bit and I was reducing my carbs. So I've been forgetful. So I've been in forgetful mode and um, I forgot to write my email and send it last week. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, uh, I don't know. It's just, I, I like to be more authentic with people. And I did say to them this time, Hey, I'm going to make you an offer. So next week I'm going to, I'm going to offer you a product. So make sure you've got some room in your credit card. And that's the first time that I've ever asked or gone to my audience. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to offer you something to buy. Okay. That's interesting. So what are some of the changes you've seen over the 32 years? You started 32 years ago. Uh, life was different then. business was different back then, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, there was no Starbucks to have a meeting. Well, I must start there. Um, so now Starbucks has created all these offices for all of us around the world to be able to hang out and have good Wi-Fi and to meet and do our business. We didn't need Wi-Fi as much then, did we? <laughs> no, we didn't have computers. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you first do? Uh, I started in direct mail. So I was writing, I was producing long-form multi-step direct mail. So very aggressive direct response, direct mail. And I was doing that uh, as a consultant for companies where I would come in and help them to increase their sales. And in, in some cases, I got so good at it that I would do it on a purely commission basis. So say, hey, you pay for the, the cost of the mailing, the postage. I won't charge you anything for my time, no fees. And I just want a percentage of sales. And then as the world started to evolve and become digital, I took those skills and I took those skills to online and started working, you know, web development and SEO and social media and, and email. And to, to your point of being mindful of other people first, um, my biggest transition in my company came from two major events. One was um, the church that we're currently attending was doing a fundraiser because we were going to do a building campaign. And I went to somebody that I knew was very successful and wealthy to ask them to write a six-figure check. 
And this person was very tight with their money. So three times I took them for lunch and three times they said no, but they did, um, they did become a very large client of mine. So they hired me to get into the digital space at, at a very significant level. So, um, you know, budgets that were four or five times larger than I was used to. And that happened twice in my business. Another event I was at, we were sponsoring a charity golf tournament. And this gentleman there said, hey, I've been trying to get a hold of you. I haven't been able to reach you. Your secretary won't let me through. Uh, my clients in Europe want to engage with you and take an appointment with me to talk about work. And I said, sure. So I gave him the name of the charity. It was a uh, drug and alcohol center. I said, they need about 50 grand. And so he wrote him a check for 50 grand. That secured his appointment. And he became a very large client. So in both of those examples, um, business was uh, not the forefront of why I was there. Oh, that's interesting. Tell us about any stretches you had in your career where things didn't go so well. Did you ever have anything like that where, you know, it just felt like things were not clicking? Yeah, I mean, there was lots of those stretches. I wish there wasn't quite so many. But I mean, that's just the reality of the marketplace. I mean, I did a lot of work in the mining sector. In the mining sector, at one point when we had a change of government, took a hit. And all of my all of my clients, as well as my competitors, we all everyone just disappeared and had to go do something else. So it was kind of a okay, what are we going to do? We need to kind of rethink what our skill set is. Uh, we need to pick up and go after a different kind of business. And so I left, you know, the the mining industry, so to speak, um, and had to go look for more traditional companies to do marketing for. Right. And so, what what are some of the traditional type companies you you worked with? I worked with a large body shop. They had nine stores, and they bought another dozen stores in the in the Seattle uh, area. Um, I worked with a really big bank, a bank called Hong Kong Bank. We did lead generation for them for high net worth individuals in the Philippines and in Egypt. So they were looking for people who could invest six hundred thousand dollars or more um, to uh, immigrate to Canada. We worked with a big auto club like BCAA that's got about 700,000 members. So we did a lot of work in more traditional businesses, um, some brick and mortar businesses like the banking guys and like the auto club and yeah, and some manufacturing companies. So really people who need to move the sales dial. And you still do a lot with emails and email lists, don't you? I do because, you know, and that's kind of a, I, I, kind of a tongue in cheek thing for me. Um, people say emails dead, that doesn't work. And uh, part of me is happy that they believe that because we're quietly making lots of money for our clients using that tactic. And, you know, and the other side of me is, is sad that uh, small business and business owners don't know how well it works, uh, that it still works, that it's perfectly legal and that um, I send email for my clients every day. Well, that's a thing. And it isn't just recently. I mean, it seems like that message has been out there for at least 10 years. Email is dead. Email is dead. And people keep, we keep hearing it, but it keeps working. And yeah. I, I think it's going to keep working for quite a while, probably. Well, I'll just give you an idea of the sort of scale. So for the people 10 years ago who said that email was dead, um, the biggest impact that ever happened to our business was the financial crisis in the U.S. or the economic meltdown in the world because most of my clients were stock in the stock market and venture capitalists. So we know what happened to that market. And I took a contrary approach. And what I did was I went back to my suppliers. I negotiated better pricing. I went back to my clients and I asked them to double their budget. So my clients were on average were spending about $70,000 US a week for me to do sponsored email for them. So we moved them from $70,000 a week to $150,000 a week. And it worked really well. So they said, what should we do now? I said, you should double it again. So we moved our clients basically from $70,000 a week to 
um, $300,000 a week. And we had a couple of clients who were spending $400,000 US a week doing sponsored email. So you have to imagine when people are, are sending that much money, they, they have an expectation of return. Yeah, they definitely do. Yeah, they would retain us for 8, 10, 12 weeks. Now, the marketplace has changed and we're not spending that much like in that quantity, but we're still spending, you know, 50, 60, $70,000 on campaigns and they still produce extremely well because we're leveraging other brands. You're leveraging, you know, the subscriber list of Inc. magazine. So if you're subscribed to Inc. and you get their print magazine, you get their digital magazine, we just have a chance to put an ad for your company into their email that they're sending to their list. It's as simple as that. Well, that's pretty awesome. It really is. And so you do a ton of writing yourself, don't you? Uh, I do a lot more than I used to. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of jokingly said I, I prefer podcasting <laughs> because my, my writing style sucks. And um, so, you know, it was very easy to have my podcast transcribed and then magically come up with a four to 5,000 word blog post um, thanks to, uh, to my guest and, and Rev. But I do do a lot more writing now and I really enjoy it. And I think the reason I enjoy it is because I've made the shift from trying, I must write something that's business-like and it must be business-focused and the emails are way more casual and the stuff I share in my emails um, is a lot more personal. So you'll get a glimpse of my family life and my kids and what we do. And I mean, people didn't sign up to, to watch what I do personally, but you know, we all have things that happen in our personal life. And so there's always ways to tie it in. And since I've started writing that way, I'm just super comfortable and I look forward to every week being able to produce content like that. Well, it is fun to tie it in that way. And, and the thing is, people love stories. They want to hear what's going on in your life and stories that they can relate to, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And they want to know what's working and what's not working. So I try to, you know, start it leading with a story. So this week's story was an apology for not sending uh, an email last week. So I basically said, hey, I was tweaking my keto diet. Uh, my memory was off. I forgot to write the email Tuesday. Like uh, on Thursdays, I recommend a couple podcast episodes. Okay. And so I said, yeah, I normally send it on, on Thursdays, but unfortunately I didn't remember until Friday. And then I went into a hack. So I normally provide um, something of value. And most of the time, like 99% of the time, there's no affiliate offer. So I tell people, I don't own any shares. I don't have an affiliate offer. So today's uh, our release was all around content marketing and using a tool called Feedly. And I said, here's how I use it. Here's my screenshots. If you want to have a conversation, I'm happy to hop on a Zoom call and show you what I'm doing. And so did you used to do more affiliate with your list? No, I've never done any affiliate with my list. I I'm see. super, super picky about that because what I found with the affiliate site, I'm not saying affiliate stuff is bad. You know, I've helped clients set up affiliate programs, but I don't want to recommend anything to my list that isn't something that I would buy or use. And I also don't want to recommend something to my list that everybody else is recommending because I'm not adding any value to my, my readers by doing that. So when I open my email and I see 10 people um, promoting Ryan Levesque's Ask program, yes. and they're using the same script, I'm going, come on, you guys. Like, seriously, um, you know, you've wasted my time to open your email, and it looks like the other five people who've just cut and pasted the same thing, you know, that's, you know, that's not a respect of me, my time. You're not serving me. You're simply looking for a commission, so unsubscribe. Yeah, it was quite. It's quite a rat race out there, isn't it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. see a lot of that. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people that are jumping on the bandwagon, trying to make a few bucks through affiliate. 
stuff. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. So what were you like as a kid? What were you like as a little seven-year-old kid growing up? Did you grow up in Canada in the Vancouver area? I did. And um, I'm glad my wife is um, not here because she would she might uh, chime in. Um, yeah, I grew up in the Vancouver area, but for whatever reason, I was always very driven. So, you know, people say are entrepreneurs made or born? And I said, I think sometimes it's some of both. So I always had a very positive outlook. Um, and I, you know, I didn't have a, um, I didn't grow up in the Brady Bunch family, right? Yeah. So, you know, I had them, I had my, my parents with me, I had a younger brother. Um, my parents both in the later years of their life suffered with an addiction and both died from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't let that define me. And I looked towards my grandfather and other people that I looked up to. So really at an early age, like seriously in elementary school, I started reading the stock market pages. Oh, wow. And, and books like, you know, how to, you know, Magic of Thinking Big and Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. And so that's what I was reading from my grade school years right through to high school. So I think those are the only books I actually read, even though I graduated with honors from school, were business and motivational books. And then you've written a couple of books. I know that. You wrote a book a couple of years ago. Tell us about taking on that project. It was it was interesting. It was really overwhelming. And the good news is that you can find really smart people to help you. So I wanted to write a book and everyone said, you have to write a book. You have to write a book. And, and the book that everybody was referring to was a biography. So I went looking for a consultant that could help me. And I found a guy by the name of Rob Kosberg in Los Angeles. And I bought his course. It was about $800. Mm-hmm. And I went through his online course. So he's really smart and all everything he said makes sense, but I don't want to do it. So I bought the course, and so what I ended up doing is flying down to L.A., meeting him, and saying, hey, I want to do a biography, and he said, it won't sell. Uh, Like, it's tough to start with a biography. Start with something else. So I basically, uh, we agreed that I'd write three books with him. I'd do a business book, I'd do my health journey, and then I'd do the biography third. So I'd have two best-selling books first. Okay. And they walked me through the process, and the process really was as simple as um, defining your book, an outline in the chapters, and then writing each chapter like you're giving a TED Talk and getting on the phone with an editor and, and presenting it like a TED Talk while they recorded the call using like Uber conference or free conference call and then transcribing it. And that and then obviously they edited it so it, it sounded proper and they you know, put the stuff in the right order. And that was really what I did. And I, I didn't know how long it should take, so I just said, oh, I'll do a chapter a week. Mm-hmm. So 12 weeks later, the book was done. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And Rob guarantees it will be a bestseller, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. 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 I've had Rob on my show and he's a pretty interesting guy. Yeah. Well, they didn't tell me when they were going to promote it. I was actually out of town. I was in Las Vegas at an email marketing conference and I, I turned on my phone to check my email, my social media, and I had some people congratulating me on becoming a bestseller. I'm thinking, I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea that promotion was happening. And then I went and looked and I went, oh, I guess they're promoting my book. So I guess that while I was away, um, somebody else was doing the work. And uh, yeah, my book became a bestseller in um, Canada, the U.S. and uh, uh, Australia and I think uh, in Europe. Oh, that's pretty cool. And your first book is Three Big Lies, right? Three Big Lies, the real truth about renting email lists to generate targeted leads and sales. Do I have all that right? Uh, yeah, that's a, quite a mouthful, but you do. It's yeah. absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah, Three Big Lies. Yeah. So then you went on to write a second book. You've, you've written it, haven't you? 
I've written it and it's sitting at my editor right now. I'm just looking for some people that want to write a forward for the book. Okay. And um, it's called Prescribed to Death. How oh. I Got Off Five Medications and Saved My Life. Oh, Prescribed to Death. And how did you get off five medications? Changed my, uh, changed my eating habits and my physical routine. I've been on statin drugs for 20 years, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, borderline diabetic. I had a CPAP machine. I've been on the medication for 20 years. The doctors said it was all because of my lifestyle because I drank coffee. So I stopped drinking coffee. It didn't change. She said it's because I had salt. I stopped salt. It didn't change. She said it's because I worked too much in vacation. So I started taking 12 weeks a year of vacation. It didn't change. And then I got sick with double pneumonia, spent three months in bed, nearly died. And went, well, okay, I'm not listening to my doctor anymore. Uh, basically fired my doctor, went and hired a personal trainer, changed my food habits, started training at the gym three, four days a week. Um, and that was seven, eight years ago. I lost about 80 pounds. I lost 60 pounds the first year and 20 pounds the next year um, and have maintained a very active lifestyle. And um, so thankful for that because I've become more productive. So I actually work less hours, get more done and feel better. Um, wow. And yeah, so it's, it's been a good journey. That's an incredible story. What do you do at the gym? <laughs> you don't want to know. I want to know. <laughs> uh, well, we, we, had, uh, we did six years of uh, bodybuilding. So four days a week bodybuilding. So lots of, lots of squats and, 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 and leg presses and lots of you know, lifting weights and a little bit of cardio. And then about a year ago, we moved into a CrossFit gym. So we do CrossFit two or three days a week and then Olympic weightlifting, which is something new we've just started. So, you know, um, like for this morning, for example, we did back squats. So, you know, uh, five sets of back squats at 90% of your maximum weight with a three second down tempo and then a burst up. And that was kind of our weight component. And then we went on to the, the next thing, which was um, uh, clean and jerk with, a, with dumbbells, um, jumping ball squats, and then um, 15 calorie cardio row, uh, ride on the bike. And we had to do seven sets of that. And do so, you have a trainer that works with you every time you go to the gym? Yeah, the, in the CrossFit box, there's at least one trainer there uh, at all times to make sure that you're, you know, you're keeping your form properly, and they're so they're giving you instruction to to help you as you go, and encourage you when you don't want to get off the floor. Right, you're at the gym. How many days? Five days a week? Uh, no, three to four, depending to on four. the uh, the week. Yeah. Right. Wow, that's very impressive. It must feel like you've really accomplished something as you move through all this? Yeah, it does because, you know, I track my performance, like my personal performance is an app that we use to do that. And so it's not really about what anybody else is doing. It's really about what I'm doing today versus what I'm doing, you know, what I did yesterday or what I did last month. So I can see my performance increase in terms of, you know, how much, how much weight can I deadlift now? How much weight can I squat now? How many, you know, how long does it take me? to row uh, 50 calories, you know, so you can start to see these things. And so it's less about looking at the people beside you and the, the environment in that type of gym typically, typically is that people are supportive. So uh, my wife and I are by far the oldest people in the gym. Um, so some of the trainers are our kids age or younger than our kids. And we've got teenagers in there that are out from high school and we've got people in their forties as well. I mean, I'm, I'm turning 56 this year. Um, so most of the people are like, 35 and younger, but it doesn't matter that, you know, they still in some of the stuff, I'm still the slowest person, but they're there cheering me on, or in some cases running beside me, 
um, to support me, which makes you, which makes the uh, the whole environment and your self esteem you feel good because it's not a, a judge, you know, not judging. You know, hey, look at him, how come he's so slow? They're there beside you doing burpees or whatever you're doing to help you, you know, finish your uh, your reps. Wow. Well, I'm very impressed. I really am, Doug. But I want to kind of switch direction here. I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time. Were you ever bullied? Do you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness maybe would have made a difference? Yeah, I was bullied a bit in school for sure um, because I was tall. Like I'm six foot six, so I was the biggest kid. And and the idea uh, lots of times was, you know, pick on the big kid because that makes you look like a hero. Uh, and then if the big kid hits you back, then he's the bully. Right. And so, you know, um, I don't want to go into too much detail because the ending wasn't very glorious. Uh, um, my, my dad, uh, my dad played junior hockey um, and was the most penalized defenseman in the league before he became a referee. And so he had a certain attitude to deal with bullies uh-huh. uh, and it was really just to fight back. Yeah. Um, and so really, you know, that was for me was the last recourse. So it took a really long time to get under my skin. So it could take a couple of years of somebody um, hassling me, punching me, spitting at me, whatever, before I would strike out. But then when I struck out, it was you're likely to lose some teeth and, and be carried off the field. Mm, yeah. So not obviously not. So there was no mindfulness there at all. It was just, just, you know, it was just violent because that's, that's the way it ended. And I I think that when I went to school through public school at that point, that was kind of the attitude of the school system for sure was, Hey, let the boys settle it on the field. It definitely was the attitude. Yeah, for sure. That's just, that's just the way things were It's the way, the way people thought back then. Yep. Yeah, it was suck it up, you know, hey, you know, suck it up, buttercup, you know, be a man. So that was kind of the attitude. And that's how my dad spoke to me as well. I mean, because like I said, he, you know, he played sports all his life and hockey was a very aggressive sport. And there's a reason why he had broken bones and and only had half his teeth, right? Uh, Because they got knocked out. So, you know, at one particular point, one kid was picking on me with a bunch of his friends. My dad goes, well, I'll fix this. Get in the car, drives to his house, knocks on the front door and says to the dad, hey, your son's got a problem with my son. He only likes to pick on him when he's got lots of his friends. Why don't the boys settle it out front? Uh-huh. And then the dad's going, no. My dad says, well, you can come out front too. You and I can resolve this at the same time. So that was, <laughs> that was my growing up years. Oh, wow. So I tried, I tried not to carry that forward now that, you know, we have kids and now we have grandkids. We're trying to take a different approach to, uh, to resolving our issues. Well, I would say you've succeeded. I mean, you seem like a very gentle soul. You know, you don't seem like somebody that's maybe going to kind of punch somebody in the face or something. No, no. You know, uh, you're right. I, you know, that's not my attitude. My attitude is more of a, a you know, um, a helping attitude. I mean, I've, I've stopped before to help people that are in trouble and, and not really thought of my own, my own safety. We've seen, you know, we've seen people being beaten on the street and we just... I just pull over, say my wife phoned the police and I'd go deal with the situation and get back in the car and go, hmm, maybe that wasn't smart. <laughs> right, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> maybe I should not have intervened, but you know, you do what you do. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, Doug. And the first one is this. So, oh, I should say this, just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is, who is one person in your life who has influenced mindfulness for you? Uh, a fellow by the name of Jim Jantz. 
Um, he uh, he was someone I met. Uh, he was a um, he he is an Amway distributor that has about thirty percent of the company's business. And one of the things I saw him do was I saw his generosity in writing you know six figure checks to support not for profits and to care for people. And he was just very thoughtful that way. And you know my original assumption was business people made lots of money, just looked after themselves. And what was obvious to me was he was making lots of money, but he was giving most of it away. Oh, very impressive. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I jokingly, not jokingly, once wrote on my hand, be sincere um, when, I was in, when I was in a meeting. So I think I probably need to spend more time um, um, allowing my emotions to come and not suppressing them. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to be more mindful and, and reflective, um, but I tend just to push through and, and ignore it. So, Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. It's a big uh, part of my practice. It never used to be, but it, it is for a couple of reasons. And, and, and one of the big reasons, and this might sound a bit weird, is I use my focus and my breathing to control my heart rate. It doesn't sound weird to me, but okay. it may sound weird to some of my listeners. How do you do that exactly? Is that a specific pattern of breathing you do? Yeah, so we, you know, I know that when my heart rate gets over 165, I'm about ready to collapse, oh. right? So I need to get my heart rate down. So what I do basically is I close my eyes and I breathe as deep a breath as I can possibly get through my nose and I exhale through my mouth as slowly as possible. Like when you're scuba diving, yeah. just slowly breathe out. And it's really hard to do until you start to capture breath. But I find that I can lower my heart rate and I can train at a higher level with a lower heart rate. And if I didn't do that, uh, the cardio would just shut my body down. Interesting, interesting. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would it be? Oh man. I don't I don't know. I mean I, I, I could tell you, you know, personally where I think I get a lot of um uh peace from that's from reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. I think there's lots of inspiration and there's lots of stories why the most important covenant is love thy neighbor. Um and I think if a lot more people love their neighbor, we'd have a lot less issues around the world. Do you have a favorite chapter? Um, I, I do. I, I like the um, the parable of the talents. And I use this parable with my kids when they're growing up. I said, we all have different gifts and talents. We're not made the same. We're all different. And my gift is no better than your gift. And they're gifts. So if you keep in mind that they're gifts, and what you should do is you're obligated to use your gift. Because you don't know how long you'll have that gift, so use it or lose it. So if you're gifted in writing, you're gifted in creativity, you're gifted in speaking, you're gifted in whatever painting do do you know focus and emphasize your gifts um and and be happy in that um and don't be looking at what i do or somebody else does just you know use your gifts good advice it really is and are there any apps that you use at all maybe for your health or for meditation or mindfulness in general um i did have a meditation app i was using and i just i I just stopped using it. Um, I just wanted to listen to this kind of fell out of my calendar. Um, a couple apps that I, that I use to try to keep my mind clear is Evernote. Yes. So I have David Allen's book, you know, getting things done. And I basically adopted his strategy of the folders and set it up in Evernote. 
Um, so I use that to get things out of my mind so I'm not thinking about them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I need to do X. Well, I put it in the proper box and I can not think about it and that clears my mind. Um, I use Slack for some of that as well. So I try to find some apps because my tendency is to try to create and build stuff. And it's like, no, 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 no. I need to be, I need to be reducing the stuff that I'm doing. Um, and so, yeah, Evernote and Slack have been two big apps where I've been able to put stuff um, that I need to do and remember and clear my mind so I can use it for what it's designed for, which is thinking. Well, I'll put all of this in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. So your website is dougmorneau.com, Morneau, M-O-R-N-E-A-U, dougmorneau.com. Tell us what we'll find at your website. Well, you'll find some um, uh, overly promotional material about myself. And then (laughs) you'll find find a place to sign up for my newsletter, which I'd, I'd encourage you to do, and a link to all my podcasts. So there's some resources there. I've written some blog posts. So the, the posts I write tend to be uh, fairly in-depth covering some content. So if you're interested in, in you know, sales and marketing or personal growth, um, you'll certainly find a good mix of that between the podcast, the blog posts, and my email newsletter. And like I already said, that podcast that you have is amazing. Real marketing, real fast. You share so much. You interview some great guests on there, and it's really packed with great content. So I would highly recommend that. Doug, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. I've really enjoyed it. Well, so did I. I just thanks so much for taking the time. I really admire the work that you do and, and knowing you know your backstory and what you're doing. It's just really exciting and encouraging to see you to follow your passion and, and doing what you're doing to help other people. Thank you, Doug. You have a great rest of your day. Bye now. Thanks. Oh, thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.